This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado. The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. What up, what up, everybody? This is Double G for the Fight Game Podcast. It is G1 season, and I'm having uh, I'm having on Justin Nipper, who has his own little podcast going on during the G1 season called the G1 Cast, which we are putting in this feud, uh, this feud, this feed. I'm thinking of uh, I'm thinking of G1 matches uh, in this feed for the Fight Game podcast, and um, Justin is on the line with me. He just wrapped up the first episode that that was not the preview episode, which we put in the feed last week, but the first episode with he and Carlos Toro. Justin, what is going on? Not much. It's been like I said to Carlos today. We just finished about an hour or two ago, and I was telling him at the front of it how much action we've seen this weekend i'm just saying like not just new japan but ufc last night there's been quite a bit of boxing there's just a lot going on there's a lot of um round robin tournaments happening in japan too uh, not only new japan but all japan dragon gate has stuff going on noah has n1 victory going on there's just lots of stuff and on our show we aim to be as concise as possible covering these and we still you know went a little over an hour covering two days of g1 so um, yeah, we're going to try to unpack as much as we can in these shows. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the first one, we wanted to, to put the first two shows together so that we could put it out in our normal uh, Monday morning show, which this show's actually going to be up Sunday night. So it'll be up a little bit earlier than normal. But I think the focus is, is to try and do these uh, after each singular show. So there are shows, uh, I believe, Wednesday and Thursday. And you guys will do singular shows then, so they'll be a little bit shorter, and you know you'll you'll, you'll go a little a little less than an hour, I'm sure. But this whole thing, like you know, I don't know how much podcasting you've actually done in the past. I know you are very musically inclined, so a microphone and and some audio equipment is not foreign to you. But just overall, like the G1 in of itself is um, is so intense. And to think of doing a podcast after every single show is intense in of itself. How are you and Carlos sort of, you know, strategically attacking this thing? Well, so far, so good. I mean, it's kind of hard to say because it's exciting. The first couple of weeks is there's a lot of good matches. There's it's fresh and we haven't seen matches of this caliber in a couple months. I mean, after watching Naito versus Tanahashi last night, you're in it's exciting and you don't really think about the strategy we're just going in and and talking about it and having fun but when i was writing about g1 last year you start to feel the fatigue the g1 fatigue if you're watching all of the cards about two weeks in when the g1 starts to hit up the smaller cities around japan the shows in i don't know Sapporo that aren't the main Hokkaido shows 
Gunma or something where it's going to be in the middle of the week and almost, you know, halfway, a little more than halfway through the G1. But now that's the time when we're just waiting for the final. So that's usually when it gets pretty. It's not like it's bad or anything, but it can be. I don't want to say exhausting either, because that sounds like uh, I'm kind of grateful. I get to watch wrestling and, and talk about it all the time. So it's tiring, but it's always worth it. And I always feel satisfied and learn a lot doing these kind of analyses. So we've watched the first two nights. You guys are going to talk about that on the show, so I'm not going to really dig deep into that. But just the idea of, you know, what is the strategy with G1 cast? I know we're not just covering G1. You guys are going to talk about some of the other stuff that's going on. But what is like what is the overall goal with this show? Okay, the the aim that we're we're trying to cover as much G1 news or New Japan related news cover as much as possible in in the time frame of the G1 this year. We're generally going to focus on New Japan and G1. That's going to be the big uh, part of it. And we're also, like today when we just finished, we talked about the New Japan Strong Show too, which is adjacent. And it's usually the way it's scheduled. It seems like it's going to be New Japan Strong on Friday, and then there'll be shows on the weekend too. So there's a lot of New Japan-related stuff going on that we're going to at least try to touch on. Um, and like I mentioned earlier, there are a lot of tournaments going on in Japan right now, round robin style. And f- unfortunately, we're probably not going to get to cover much Dragon Gate or Noah, but uh, we chose to cover this year's G. Uh, sorry, All Japan's Champion Carnival because I don't think there's ever been a time, maybe ever, that they the Champion Carnival and G One have been not exactly simultaneous, but pretty close to each other. Mm-hmm. I thought that was cool. And it's a kind of a smaller, more contained tournament. There are only 10 competitors in it this year. So um, we're going to try to recap those two. And we're going to aim to do those longer shows like we did today, maybe Sundays. Sundays, because of the schedule of the G1 and our real-life schedules, that seems right. like what we're going to do. But expect a lot of coverage. And uh, I'm also going to try to incorporate things that I just don't see in other reports or we're going to talk about everything. And if people have questions for us, just bring them on. We're willing to talk about anything. And Carlos is great to work with because he's really professional. And he's coming from a, a cool and kind of unique angle from the boxing side of things. He's a boxing writer. He's written for Fightful and he's written, he has his own thing going right now. And uh, it's just cool to chat and learn from him too yeah he's i mean he is as much as you can be of a reporter right now when he's got to do everything from his house but you know he's on all the conference calls he he was on a conference call and got some time uh, one-on-one with steven espinosa so you know he's he's really dialed into that side of things so I, i'm sure for him like to just be able to not be a, a reporter necessarily and be sort of an analyst about you know about the the uh, new japan stuff is probably pretty fun for him so okay so we're gonna get to this show in a second i don't want to i didn't want to do too long of an intro but um the the other thing I wanted to ask you was when you think about sort of you you wrote about this show you wrote about this whole tournament last year so you you know it from the writing piece and how uh, and how intense that was now from the podcasting side uh, 
are you thinking of like, you know, Net, you know, podcasts are, are kind of the thing now, you know, you can either read pieces or you can listen to shows. Like, how, how are you thinking from that perspective of you wrote about it last year and now you're doing a different thing, which is sort of a different medium. Um, are you thinking of covering it in a different way? Are you sort of covering in the same way? Any Anything that, you know, that, that uh, uh, using that experience from last year that you're bringing on to this year's coverage? I think I was thinking about that kind of stuff before they before this weekend, but when I watched the two shows this weekend, the format is actually pretty different compared to last year. With last year, there were live crowds, but the main thing is that these were full shows. They were full cards, and they had tag team matches. There were house shows, and then they do the five uh, block matches. This year, oh, at least to the first two cards this past weekend, they were maybe under two and a half hours. They're mm-hmm. on the, about like an NXT takeover length. And they, it is much more, uh, it's better to cover that in a podcast form, just uh, covering hits. Whereas last year it was just me and I was covering as much detail as I could. And I know it can be like verbose and hard, not hard to read, just like long to read. But my point with that approach is that it's going to be there forever. So if another reporter needs to go back and, and refer to it, all of those details, I know that they're there because it happened and maybe they're useless in the, or, or pointless in the moment, but everything is there. And I always kind of refer back just to kind of skim through and I'm reminded of something that happened. It's not me. It's just what happened and I recorded it and it happens to be there. So posterity is a big part of the writing part too. But with the talking, we can... It's just different. We're we're gonna approach it differently and try to extract uh, some new ideas or, or takes on what's going on with New Japan and in Japan in general right now with the pro wrestling. It's awesome. So I'm very happy that you guys uh, want to do this and that you wanted to do it in our feed. I think the listeners now, you know, I- I'm sure a lot of listeners they love to hear me and John talk about AEW and NXT. But for those listeners who aren't necessarily following New Japan, they may skip some of these G1 cast shows because they're not sort of used to the day by dayness that it can be. But I would tell, you know, I would say give the G1 a shot. New Japan World is like $9 a month, and you could literally subscribe for the end of this month and October and spend 16 or 17 bucks and get sucked in and really experience what uh, a, a sport aspect uh, of wrestling can be. Um, you know, people are always saying, oh, you know, why doesn't WWE do like a G1? Can you imagine like them trying to do like how many disqualification finishes would there be in the WWE version of G1 or how many, you know, five minute double DQs or double count because they couldn't be creative enough to tell the story. This is as close to a real sports tournament in pro wrestling that you're going to get. So if you like that stuff, I had someone reach out to me on Twitter today. and was like, you know, I'm not, I'm out on WWE. I, I, I kind of like AEW. I like hearing you guys talk about it, but it's still not, not my cup of tea. And I was like, well, what about new Japan? He's like, eh, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's, I've never really gotten into it. And I'm like, look, like this is the opportunity to do so because this is exactly what you want in wrestling. If you are not, 
okay with the WWE shenanigans, or if you don't like AEW style, AEW style is not for everybody, but this could be the thing. And I also mentioned the ROH show, which you are very high on, but and I haven't really seen. But this is an opportunity to really see how tournament style wrestling can be done at a high level and it's literally the best 16 or 17 dollars that you're going to spend on on a wrestling product you know half of um uh i think i think there's the the blood sport show is coming up and that's going to be like 25 bucks or 30 bucks right so it's even like half of what you would pay for the blood sport show which is also going to be great and you can get like so many shows so it's a great bargain i new japan is not giving us anything i just love i just love g1 time so um so give it a chance Give the give the G one a chance. Justin and Carlos are going to be here, uh, you know, for every just about every show. May miss a couple, just to, you know, family stuff or emergency stuff or just being outright tired. I don't think anybody would blame you if you put a couple shows together like you did uh, today. But um, but yeah. So before we uh, throw it to your show with Carlos from earlier today after night two, let's quickly talk about Indeed. So even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. And unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hirings. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. And with 73% of online jobs seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. So, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job posts, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through September 30th. All right, hey, it's Justin from Fight Game Media. Welcome to the G1 cast. Carlos, Carlos Toro, what's <laughs> up? Doing pretty good. Finally got the G1 underway. There's, uh, there's a lot to talk about from, from the G1 the first two days alone, but uh, I'm doing pretty well. Pretty good uh, myself. Can't really complain much. <laughs> there's, been a lot of, there's been a lot of action this week, Just not, not just with wrestling, but I'm talking UFC, boxing. There's been a lot of top quality fights this, especially the past since like Friday, there's been a lot going on. There's a lot to talk about. Oh yeah. Uh, so um, we have our energy still, so let's get started. <laughs> Jump right in. Okay. So day one, let me pull up my notes. Day one was really good. Um, the first match we saw that night wasn't a G1 match. The first match we had was Yuya Uemura defeating Yotasuji in I think under ten minutes. Um, this was excellent, uh, though it's nothing more than you'd expect, um, out of these guys. These guys are great. Uh, what did you think of the opening match, Carlos? Yeah, I mean, it was a very, very good match between young lions. I mean, you're not going to see any all time classics uh, with these kinds of guys, but it is a very, very good sign 
that you can put these two guys who are relative unknowns but uh, to the New Japan audience, you know, unknowns besides the fact that they have been wrestling on these tours since the pandemic and they were also in the Young Lions Cup. But aside from that, they don't have a ton of experience in a New Japan ring. And it's a very good sign that these two guys are able to do a pretty good match for the most part. And I can't really, I, I can't really find much fault in this. It was a nice, basically basic structure match, but these two are very, very talented. I think these guys are going to be very big much later down the line. I mean, there's still a couple of years, a few years from ever being, you know, a real player in New Japan, but this is a very, very good first sign. Yeah. Watching them, and then watching the rest of the G1, you kind of think to yourself, at least I did, I, th- I go, geez, how, I mean, that was really good. It was short, but how are the guys going to continually top these young guys all month? I mean, those for two shows, sure. Okay. But, you know, I feel like I'm going to a concert where you're seeing the opening band and they're really trying to outdo the main event. It's kind of like that, but in a cool way, not in a weird, malicious way. Um, they were great, and I thought the notable thing about uh, this match was Uemura got his first real big win over Tsuji. Tsuji usually picks up the win in these matches, but it looks like Uemura uh, is ready for his come up. So that was cool. Yeah, was quick, so. yeah, and it's a good way to sort of sort of give a little bit more uh, credibility to you Uemura. I mean, you're going to be getting these types of matches between Uemura, Tsuji, and Gabriel Kidd throughout this entire tour. So it's good that you have these guys capable of beating each other. It's not just Yoda Suji beating both Gabriel Kidd and Uemura, you know, several times and it just kind of not being all that fun down the line. So it's a really good thing that Uemura picked up the win. Yeah, it was great. Okay, next was Taichi over Jeff Cobb. Now, Naturally, we started off with uh, Osprey versus... Uh, oh, sorry. Yujiro. Yeah, I skipped one. I skipped one. Osprey <laughs> and Yujiro Takahashi was the... Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. The uh, We haven't seen Osprey in New Japan in a long time, since about March, I think. And he looked quite different. And on commentary, they really made a big deal on this. And they talked about his weight a lot. And they said right now he's 85 kilograms. Uh, it's around like 230 pounds, 231. He looks really big compared yeah. to... Even a couple of years ago when he was doing the ricochet thing, I mean, it's night and day. That aside, he looked great. And Carlos, what do you think? Did Yujiro look great or was it, is this an illusion? Because this was not, it wasn't bad. Dare I say good? I don't know. But what, what was your take on this? I mean, the best way you can say is this was one of the best Yuji Takahashi singles matches you'll ever see. Hmm. And which is not exactly a high bar, but the thing that really interests me about this match, when, when number one, as you mentioned, Will Ospreay looked big, like really, really big. And for the most part, he managed to retain a lot of his agility and speed, which is good. I just worry about how he's going to be looking like seven, eight, nine matches down the line during this G1. That's kind of my my one thing that I have to watch out for Will. But the other thing is, throughout the match, it was actually Yujiro kind of getting the offense. He was, it was like a short seven, eight-minute match, but most of it was actually Will Ospreay selling for Yujiro, which 
right. I was not a big fan of. I thought that, you know, you would imagine Will Osprey getting the massive reception that he got, or about as massive as one could get with no cheering. All you can do is clap. He was coming out here as this big baby face, and then all of a sudden you only get to see like a fraction of what we already seen Will Osprey do. It was it was really he really didn't do that much. I would imagine it would have been more uh, a house on fire, and it was just Osprey selling from the first what three fifths of the match. Then he comes on and gets an Insiguri, gets the Osprey special, Stormbreaker, and then just. And that's it. I mean, it wasn't a very complex match. It was Yujiro just working uh, Osprey for the first half. And really, there was it wasn't a great match. I wouldn't say it's a bad match. It was about as average as you can get out of a Will Osprey match, or maybe slightly below average of what we can expect Osprey as a heavyweight. I, I get what you're saying. And yeah, it is. I wouldn't say weird, but it felt like a showcase for Osprey. He's back, almost like an enhancement match, kind of. But on the other hand, there seems to be some impetus on making sure that Yujiro Takahashi gets over somehow this year. Because back a couple months ago, we had the Okada issue. We had the King of Pro Wrestling. He's... I don't know if the fans are perceiving him this way yet, but I think it, what it feels like is they're trying to make him come off as a lot stronger than he was. Um, that's all I can say, though. Uh, aside from his new, he has you know new dyed hair, but he served his purpose in this match. He really did, like you said, he uh, Osprey was on uh, selling and and was on defense for much of the match, but I think that could create some kind of sympathy within the fans there and the fans were happy to see him and uh, milano and liger were really really happy to watch him i don't know if you noticed but when osprey uh tried uh doing his sasuke special he, he kind of teases it and he does a handspring and bounces off the ropes and backflips into a knight's pose and i don't know if you heard milano cackling at that but uh, he sounded really, really impressed in a kind of young boy way, like maybe he first saw the Avengers or something. He, it sounded like pure wonder. So that I enjoyed the most, maybe the commentary, but that was cool. Uh, again, that was quick too, though. Um, actually, the whole show was pretty quick. Yeah, I think it was, were- yeah, that's what surprised me the most. I thought it was, it was not even two and a half hours. Granted, there were only six singles matches, but you would think that with all the big matches, you would think that a lot of them were going to be 20 minutes at least. And I think only one of them managed to go that long. Yeah, not even the main event. I don't even think the main event went 20 minutes. I think that was under 20 minutes, which we'll get to shortly. But let's move on. Yeah, but that was a good short one. Not great. Pretty good. Next was Tai Chi and Jeff Cobb. Um, On paper, I'm not going to say it looked bad or anything, but it didn't... uh, look to i don't want to say blow me away but i was really impressed with this what did you think of this carlos yeah well one thing i do want to point out is Mm -hmm. and this is a constant issue that i have with new japan referees and this is a problem that i've been had that that this wasn't just in night one this is also in night two how are these referees with at the start of the match they always try to inspect these guys 
for anything illegal. And it's fine. Fine. That's what you're supposed to do. But then during the match, these guys do so many blatant things that you would easily call for a DQ. And in this one, we saw Tai Chi get the the little hammer, the little mallet that he used to ring the bell. And he just attacks Jeff Cobb's legs. And this this wasn't like some kind of sneak attack. This was right in front of the referee. And I get it. It it was telling a story of Jeff Cobb trying to overcome that, the damage done by that hammer. But it it just kind of took away from it all because referees right there. Why is he not calling a DQ? And I get it. New Japan referees are significantly more lenient than most wrestling referees. But at some point you got to draw the line. And if Taichi can use a, a goddamn hammer, on, on Jeff Cobb, who to say that, you know, anyone can just do anything. I mean, it's a very weird thing. It's a weird thing for me to, hang, uh, to get hung up on. Um, it was it was a mostly one-sided match. That that was the one thing that surprised me, that Taichi was on offense from most of it. He got the win. He, he beat Jeff Cobb, which it, it didn't really surprise me a whole lot. I mean, on paper, I guess one would say, especially here in the U.S., they would say Jeff Cobb would beat Taichi, but... Daichi's been someone who's been getting, you know, a, a solid, solid push, especially since the pandemic, and it, more especially ever since he moved up to the heavyweight division. He's definitely gotten more popular among fans in the past year and a half or so. But about your point with the the hammer and the referees, it's definitely one of New Japan's weak points in general. I mean, if you're a fan already, I mean, I'm a fan. I'm used to it, so. I'm, I'm not saying that makes it okay. I I just don't react as strongly as I used to. But um, the feeling's still there, and you, it's kind of like, and maybe Taichi just kind of thought about it in the moment and mm-hmm. grabbed the wooden hammer from the ring announcer's table and used it. But like you said, it was blatant. It was right in front of Red Shoe's face. It's I don't know how you can work that into the match logically. It's just mm-hmm. yeah, it, it kind of it can sit with you after the match and go it was a good and it was a good match but those little details if you're seeing those every day in a g1 tournament everyone notices so the outcome okay cool but i hope going forward they find ways to get out of those situations i I don't want to say lazy, but it feels a little like you could do something else or. Yeah. I don't, know. I don't have an answer, if, though. If you really want to use a hammer, <laughs> try to not do it in front of the referee. Yeah. So it sounds kind of like maybe that was more on Tai Chi and uh, maybe Red Shoes was forced into the awkward position. But mm-hmm. the, the, the point you made is still relevant and we'll probably talk about it uh, a little more in the show. OK, let's move on to what do we have? Um so, yeah, well, by the way, Jeff Cobb and Tai Chi. Jeff Cobb looked really great, by the way. I wanted to say, compared to uh, last year, I feel like he's like a different different vibe. He, more facial expressions, more intense, crisper in the ring. He's got the, the beard, the badass beard. That's cool. And Tai Chi is really comfortable in his character. And um, it's kind of funny. And mm-hmm. a lot of the crowd enjoys his uh, banter, but he does serve that role just like Yujiro does too. They're both 
they serve that rudos kind of like they're just there to catch the big moves mm-hmm. and they're there to make the upcoming stars look like stars uh i think it's weird uh, that you mentioned that carlos about uh cobb losing and he's lost twice on new in japan strong to kenta i was thinking that's weird too although looking at old patterns if a foreigner loses a lot like that it's usually part of a longer story so in my mind i feel like cobb might have something big coming up later on because that's usually that's usually the narrative you have to earn your wins in new japan so that's where i'm at on that but uh yeah let's let's move to the next match um next match was suzuki and ishii what Man, were your this thoughts was great. this was great i, I mean to- a, a couple of things one suzuki always amazes me by how well he can move and how great he looks at 52 years old mm. mind you i am 25 i am technically less than half of suzuki's age and he moves better he looks better than i do maybe even at my athletic peak about senior year in high school which is amazing by the way he's also said to be a chain smoker as well yeah yeah that is it, it, it boggles my mind seeing Suzuki this great. You know, it's funny. The, the thing about this match was there was, if you really want to look at like the wrestling aspect, technically there was very little. It was mostly slaps, forearms, yeah. strikes, kicks. But the way, especially Ishii, the way he sold it and the way these guys were just constantly hitting each other left and right. I mean, it was so completely different from what we had seen from the previous three matches of the night. And it was, it, it was a, such a treat to watch. It, was, it, it, it played to both of these guys' strengths, which is smash mouth offense. Not a ton of wrestling, but, but, it, but, it, does, but it does make it notable in the fact that a lot of these matches are going to be wrestling heavy. This one was not. This one was more like if it was like a worked MMA fight. Well, I don't even want to say worked MMA fight, but it definitely was not a pure technical wrestling match. It was a lot of hits, a lot of forums. This was, this may have been one of my, at the end of the tournament, this probably will end up being one of my five favorite matches of the entire G1. I've heard a lot of the same feedback from a lot of people about that match. And I feel that same way. I like the what I like most about that match and their matches in general is that it's a little more. It feels like it's more than just a match. It feels like you're watching these two guys settle a private dispute that you're not supposed to watch. Like if because they're so talented, they make it feel really personal. Uh, especially Suzuki, he's like an actor. He's like a villain in a movie, and it, it, it felt like that. It felt like. Uh, a brawl at the end of a movie where you know something needs to be settled and neither of these guys wanted to uh give an inch and it finished it was kind of short match again too uh mm-hmm. and it finished with a uh, gotch pile driver on ishi almost out of nowhere after he reversed a brain buster for the win and ishi's i'm sorry uh suzuki's ear was completely red after the match oh yeah they looked like they went through war. And this is only day one, so 
good luck yeah. to both of them for the next 30 days or so. Yeah, and I remember on our previous show, I said, I mean, if the best Suzuki matches, when you take into account his age, the best Suzuki matches that you're going to get, it's going to be from the first half of the G1 because he's still fresh. He won't be taking as much punishment as he probably would be taking in the second half. But this was just awesome. Like, I can see him. Like, Ishii was the perfect first opponent for Suzuki in the G1. And I have a feeling we're going to see a few more of these types of matches later on. I mean, I could see this being something for Will Ospreay, maybe because Osprey's not someone who Osprey is someone who sort of kind of put down the aerial stuff a little bit throughout the last couple of years. It's not as high risk as it once was. So I wouldn't be surprised if we say something similar when when Suzuki and Osprey do something like sort of a hybrid thing. And I think it's gonna be I think Suzuki's gonna have fantastic matches throughout this G one. Usually does. I'm happy he's in it this year. He was I don't think he was in it last year. Yeah, I don't think was, so either. Off that was top a, of my head. kind of an angle. He, 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 I remember something cutting promos about he was upset that he wasn't chosen for a G1, and that led to his matches in the fall and over the summer. But yeah, keep your eye on Suzuki. And for anybody who's listening, if you're going to watch just one match, this is, this is a good bet. This is a safe bet. Uh, it was great. Beautiful violence. Uh, next was uh, Jay White and Shingo Takagi. This was really impressive. Jay White won. Um, they're okay. I'll let you go first. Likes and dislikes about this match, Carlos. I mean, for the first three quarters of the match, this was fantastic. And this was a really, really good way to reintroduce Jay White into the Jap- Japanese audience in New Japan. Because he's been wrestling a little bit on New Japan Strong, but. But really, it, we didn't really get to truly see Jay White, you know, go all out quite like he did on on this show. And this was really, really good for the first three quarters of it. It was phenomenal. I mean, there were times where you would think that for a brief second that Shingo Takagi was going to win. But then there was ref bumps. There was Bullet Club interference at the end. And... It, and I don't want to say I'm already tired of it because then I'm going to be really disappointed throughout this tournament whenever Jay White and Evil wrestle because this is going to be this is going to be the the whole story of the G1 for the Bullet Club guys, especially with Jay White and Evil, is that Gato and Dick Togo are just going to be there and interfering matches on their wrestlers' behalf, and we kind of saw something uh, with this match it was a little more blatant in my opinion in night two when evil wrestled but i mean i wouldn't say the the finish and the interference kind of ruined the match because it didn't but it's one of those matches where you just kind of wish that there wasn't interference from bullet club you like you just want jay white you want shingo just the two of them in, in the ring but you know especially with the g1 you're not gonna get a whole lot of those types of matches yeah, and especially with Jake, Jay White or anything with Bullet Club, I feel like if you want to enjoy his matches, I think you're simply going to have to accept that there will be foolishness, shenanigans, interference from Gato. Um, it was the same last year. It was the same since he turned heel. I think I don't think they're going to budge, even though 
I really think they should spice it up a little bit with the ref bumps and it's just a lot. But like you said, I don't think it took too much away from the match. Takaki came off as really, really strong in this. Uh, He kicked out of a low blow despite everything. Mm -hmm. But um, and I also wanted to mention how much better it was in their match in last year's G1. I recall watching their match and it was it was okay, but I expected more. And it was one of those shows that was during the week and it was in Sapporo and it was like a Wednesday. So this and it was midway through. So. Yeah, we're kind of entering the dog days of summer. And the dog days of G1, especially. And when you're covering it, I'm sure you'll feel it soon. Soon enough, you'll feel it. Um, It's exciting now, but October, you know, things can drag. It's just whatever. But we'll see. And I'm happy that uh, they really killed it last night, despite all the the foolish uh, uh, run-ins and such. But I don't think it took too much away from it, but both look great. Uh, Jay White looks like a different person almost mm-hmm. I mean, compared i was watching clips of uh, ibushi versus white in the finals last year yeah, like his body is different it, like his complexion is different he has somehow he has more abs i don't know how he got those yeah um, oh he looks so good and the it, it, especially when he first entered the ring and the camera just kind of panned to to his upper body like he looked phenomenal like he's one of the guys that I think has probably benefited the most from taking a long rest and just working on their body for, you know, throughout the months that they didn't get to wrestle. Same body and his whole uh, demeanor and his confidence. This guy is, he's doing something very specific. He's not rattled. And you can see, if you watch other promotions, it's easy. It's easy to see people get rattled and get thrown off their strategy. Like, okay, I'm going to do this tonight and something else happens. He's not that kind of uh, wrestler. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of him. Um, cool. And um, finally, okay, main event last uh, night, day one. Okada and Kota Ibushi. Ibushi won. Ibushi won uh, pretty clearly. It didn't feel mm-hmm. like it was um, last year's final. It was a great match. It was really close. This year's match, the story seemed, it felt to me that Ibushi is the guy this year. Again, he's also somehow bigger as well, like mm-hmm. Jay, uh, Ibushi is, he's huge. And he looked dominant here. And uh, he put Okada away and like, yeah, like we said, under under 20 minutes. What did you think of this, Carlos? It, I think a lot of people were expecting this to be an all-time classic. And that's mm-hmm. not really through their fault. We know the guests are capable of producing unbelievable matches. But I don't know, this just felt... This was a really good match, by the way. I, I don't want to. Let me just preface, preface this by saying this was a really, really good match, and it's going to end up being one of the five, ten best matches of the G1 when it's all said and done. Absolutely. But I think more importantly than the quality of the match was Ibushi just getting that clean win over Okada and just gaining some credibility because we talked about this before. Ibushi has not really looked. I don't want to say looked that great, but he has looked a little off uh, throughout the year. He went 0-2 at the Tokyo Dome. Then he just transitioned all of a sudden into attacking with Tanahashi. And then the pandemic happened. And then he lost almost all of the steam that he had gotten like less than a year later, yeah, less than a year before. So I thought that this was a, a really good way for 
Ibushi to just get that confidence and also just re you know reassert his you know his standing in the in the single division in New Japan because I mean let's be honest he hasn't really done a whole lot as a singles wrestler this entire year so getting a win over Okada was was pretty big in my opinion it definitely changed his perception uh in my mind because and I always have to remind myself that earlier this year he was he was doing the tag team thing with Tanahashi and that was the so it just changes the focus. And when uh, you're out of the singles division, we were just focused on evil. We were focused on Naito. That's the past couple of months. It's seemingly all been about that in the title picture. And I don't think really anybody has out like felt too um, like important or worthy of a, of a shot because I don't think they planned it out like that yet. I think they were waiting for the G1 for the stars to emerge and, the way that Ibushi performed and the way that they spoke about him on commentary and what he said after the match made me feel like this is... I didn't do any pickums or anything, but <laughs> I, I'm going to say I, I predict that he would win again this year just based on uh, the presentation. Uh, he, he said, I'm going be, to become God after that. And Ibushi isn't much of a talker. Uh, he's not a promo guy, and when he does, it's kind of, you know, it's whatever. But last night, it was very, like, like a catchphrase. Like, he, I, I don't know how they're going to work it in to the rest of the tournament, but something tells me that there's something special about his chances this year based on the presentation and based on how he wrestled. I, I also want to make one mention about the crazy, crazy, uh, almost botched Super Frankensteiner spot. Yeah. from Ibushi where he almost fell off the rope but um he didn't he did some uh tightrope work wow so he so this is the thing that Volador is kind of famous for where somebody's sitting on a turnbuckle and he does a springboard up to the top rope and from the spring he springboards to his opponent and hits him with a Frankensteiner now Ibushi did a springboard onto the top rope but he leaned back like he was going to fall, but somehow he kept his balance. It was like a video game. And he found his balance. He pulled off the move. It looked great. He smiled. He knew that he got away with something he probably shouldn't have been able to. What did you think of that? He's just insane. Yeah, I mean, as much as we all wish Koda to just take it down a notch when it comes to these types of things, I mean, we're going to get, especially with the big matches, we're going to get a spot where... We just look at we look at the monitor and just think like, what are you doing? You are like so close to just suffering a really really bad injury, and yeah, I, I just kind of felt the same way. And I have a feeling we're gonna be saying that a lot throughout the G one because that's just the kind of guy Kota Ibushi is. Mm. Yeah, it's too soon to tell. It's only day one. We have almost twenty more to go. So the wait is finally over. Football is back. And we're just at the end of, uh, almost at the end of, uh, of week two. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. 
Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BlueWire at betonline.ag. That's BlueWire, all in one word. Bet Online, your online sports book experts. The B Block was last night. It was on. I'm on the West Coast, and it was pretty early. It was on at 10 here, which was really cool. And um, it was, again, it was another short show, but it was a really tight show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I loved how these have been presented. I love that it's, there's no BS. It's just one great rookie match and then right into the block matches. So last night, first match, we saw Yota Suji again, and he was with Gabriel Kidd, who is a young lion from the UK who's been spending time in Japan during the pandemic. And he, both of them look great, but oh man, Gabriel Kidd is something. There's something about him that tells me they're going to hold on to him for a while and he might be a big star there. Uh, what did you think of the first match, Carlos? Yeah, uh, I totally agree. I've been super high on Gabriel Kidd for several years now, especially when, during his time in the UK. He was a guy that was looked about as fresh baby face as one could literally look as a pro wrestler in the 2010s. But he is a guy that has been spending a lot of time in the UK early in his career with a lot of, you know, very experienced pros. And, and I think that's one thing that I have to give Gabriel Kidd over a lot of these young lines is the level of wealth and experience. Like Gabriel Kidd almost already has like a proto excursion already under his belt, like an extended proto excursion. And and he's and he's back to being a young lion. I this is a guy that I genuinely do think he's gonna be pretty big for New Japan. Maybe not next year, maybe not 2022, but down the line, much down the line. I think he's gonna be a pretty big uh, star for New Japan. Yeah, it's clear both of these guys. You, you put this on and I, again. I was thinking, especially last night, how the next match after this was Yoshihashi and Juice Robinson. And while we'll get to that in a second, and well, it was good. It was I was thinking in my head, these guys are trying to have a main event, mm-hmm. and they're not doing that much. This just shows how talented they are. You didn't see any flashiness. It was just all hundred percent. Uh, conviction in the execution. These guys weren't holding anything back. And they also have this crazy energy, this crazy like, passion. Uh, it gets you pumped up, like like any, uh, the same as a sport does. That part is real. The energy is real. And uh, both of them have it in spades. It's, it's just, they're fun to watch. They're really fun to watch. And again, it's another short, they pack a lot in. They don't do that much. They're athletic. They tell a great story. Um, I'm gonna. Re- I'm looking forward to seeing more of uh, these one-off young lion matches at the beginning of these cards, and I think by the end of our G1 cast, we'll have a really uh, cool perspective on where these guys will be. I mean, these young guys are gonna have a chance to wrestle more than any other younger wrestlers probably in the world right now. I mean, talking about in a row, mm-hmm. I, there there won't be. A, any, and, and with fans, too. So I'm really excited about that. They, they always really impress me. That's cool. And yeah, so like I said, next was uh, Yoshihashi versus the return of Juice Robinson. With He returned with a new, I don't know if it was a flamboyant look. He's the flamboyant Juice Robinson, but it was definitely interesting. It was new, mm-hmm. uh, less colorful. His, how would you describe his new look, Carlos? Was it like a, he wore a bowler cap and a tank top and... Mm-hmm. 
I I maybe I could have the reference completely wrong, but it was it, it did kind of look a little bit of Michael Jackson with the way he was dressed up. It was it, it was weird. He wasn't like trying to do a bit or anything, but he but the presentation, his style, his look is almost completely different from the colorful guy that we're accustomed to seeing in New Japan. And and I liked the match. I thought this was a you know, it wasn't a great, great match, but it was a pretty good match, all things considered. I think with Yoshihashi especially, I think we're seeing a much more confident, a much more lively Yoshihashi, especially after he had won the Never Open Way six-man titles. It was, you know, and obviously Yoshihashi, this doesn't mean he's going to get a major push or anything, but it's it does feel good kind of seeing Yoshihashi get that confidence and go up against a guy who... It's kind of credible in New Japan and Juice Robinson, and I love the new look. He looks bigger, yeah. maybe maybe wrong, but he definitely looks like he, he is a lot more tan, especially. Right. But he he looks bigger. He it's not. I won't even say it's a mean streak, but the wrestling is a little more serious, which is which is good because we've seen hints of that, especially the second half of 2019 when he was. Uh, you know, when when he was going in the G1 tag, um, not G1 tag league, but the World Tag League, he was kind of going, He there was a little bit more of a serious side to Juice. And not even in a bad way, just a more focus. I, 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 focus, I think it's probably the more correct word instead of serious. Yeah, it, f- it feels organic. It feels like he arrived in New Japan. Uh, he was an NXT guy. He kind of... He didn't relearn, but he kind of readapted his his life and his wrestling style. I mean, he lives in Japan now, and uh, the new look it doesn't make total sense. But it doesn't. I don't think it, does, it has to because that's what he's been doing. He leans into it and does it really well. And the one thing I noticed and liked most about this match is I noticed that Juice Robinson he felt as little like an ex WWE wrestler than ever last night. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. he didn't feel like he was like the pace and the, the, the Christmas of the execution, the way he would react with the crowd. He really, he could anticipate how they were going to react based on what he'd do. He was just confident. It, it's that's always good to see whether you like the wrestling or not. He had a great performance. He, he, he did a great job. Everybody was talking about him in the moment and and credit to Yoshihashi too. There was nothing he did wrong. I just don't, I don't know what Yoshihashi's deal is. He might need some kind of makeover as well um, or something. I don't know. But um, this definitely felt like, like the night before where Osprey had a showcase match. This night felt like a Juice Robinson showcase match. Mm-hmm. It was a little longer. It was, it wasn't bad at all. It was good. Um, yeah, that's it. But it felt like a showcase for Juice. And uh, I guess we'll see what happens with him down the road this month and next. Um, okay. So next on the card last night, after Juice and um, Yoshihashi, we had... Can you remind me what we had? I don't have my notes. We had um, Torian versus Sonata. And I got to say, this oh, yeah. was... 
I don't I don't hate it only for the fact that it wasn't a very uh, a 15 minute match. It was it only went for seven, eight minutes. Sonata was trying to go for a more serious match. Toriano was going to go for his usual Toriano comedy match. Whole story was really the wrist tape that he had tucked away in his trunks and both his knee pads referee took it away. I think it was Red Shoes who was the referee in this match. And then later, actually. And then uh, later in the match. So Toriano takes out a chair. He goes to the outside. He takes out a chair from the crowd and he sits there and he's frustrated. And then he almost gets counted out. But then later on in the match, they're both Sonata and Yano are outside in the ring, almost at the very back. Like they're pretty far along, you know, between the ring and the entrance stage. So Sonata has Yano in a paradise lock. And for some ungodly, unexplained reason, Yoya Uemura just goes out and, and unlocks uh, Toriano out of the paradise lock for no apparent reason. It kind of then Sonata. Yeah, like he rolled a molar for, yeah, like no one knows why. And then Toriano uh, ma- manages to trick Sonata into being with Yuya Uemura and then uses the wrist tape, a fourth wrist tape that he had tucked away that the referee never, never saw. And he taped their ankles together. Toriano went into the ring and then you saw... Sonata and Yuya Uemura in this like three-legged race type of formation and then Sonata gets counted out and that's it and it's I just look at this match I'm thinking like man this is like I'm not mad or anything I'm just it's kind of a head scratcher because why I, I hope they explain this or this you know leads to something because if it doesn't it makes absolutely no sense for Yuya Uemura to be a part of this match. Like, he has a young lion. His whole, when you're a young lion and you're at ringside, you're part of the job is trying to make sure that, you know, things don't get too chaotic, especially after the match. But during the match, young lions is supposed to have no role into the match. How many times have we seen Toriano in a match and things escalate out of the ring. And no one does that. And no one does anything to sort of change that, uh, you know, to sort of influence that outside from the referee. And That's a very good sudden, point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because usually when uh, staff around ringside is involved, it's usually the other way around. They're more in passive role. They're usually getting beat up or, you know, they're serving the match for to put the other guys that are in the match over. But here last night, yeah. Like you said, if there's no payoff in the future, if this doesn't lead to Imura um, getting involved with Yano or Sanada somehow, I don't know how. It just seems kind of random and uh, like, like kind of slapdash. But again, this is the, the Toriano function in the G1. He's the spoiler. He's been in it I, maybe more than 10 years, I think it said. Or mm-hmm. I don't know. I have to check that. Strike that. I'm not sure about that step. <laughs> but he's been in it for a very long time. And... Um, He's here to spoil uh, spoil the scorecard and get people the or get people the points they need to get and take points away. 
when necessary. So, and I don't know the story for Sanada. He also came out with a new look uh, last night. He had a new uh, kind of futuristic jacket and new cold skull mask. He has his new look. Um, yeah. So I guess coming out of this, I don't know what is in store for Sanada coming up. I have no idea. So yeah, I guess, the, I guess the only thing I can maybe, I guess maybe you can ex, you can put that into a Sonata Toriano match for the KOPW title. I mean, sure. I mean, it, Sonata's not going to win the G one, and it does and it doesn't look like he will or even win the the B block. I mean, it, it gives Toriano something to do, and it gives Sonata something to do. I think we'll know more about his trajectory in two weeks or so because i feel like with the g1 we don't we kind of get a taste of what could happen in the first couple of weeks we see great matches and two weeks later when we see uh who has how many ever points mm. then we start to see ah, okay well, this person there's no way they can win mathematically but these two guys could win and based on the context yada yada so yeah, it, it's fair to say that I don't know what's going on with Sonata because he hasn't had a very um, noteworthy year other mm -hmm. than getting turned on by uh, evil. But um, yeah, I guess we'll see. Um, next, we had three really good matches next. Uh, next was Kenta and Hiroki Goto for the rematch. Rematch from their Tokyo Dome match. And uh, this was great. Um, what did you think of this, Carlos? Yeah, I mean, this was the best Kenta match since the pandemic. This was this was the type of match that I was hoping Kenta would have with Jeff Cobb in the U.S. Right. It was very hard hitting. It was, if you've seen the Suzuki versus Ishii match from the night before, there were elements of it that were sort of similar in this match. It was a lot of striking, a lot of kicks, uh, very, very good technical wrestling at times. This, I mean, Hiroki Goto is a guy who you can depend on a lot, especially with these types of wrestlers like Kenta and Shingo and Ishii. Like, they'll just have a really good physical match. And we got that here, and I think this was a really, really nice win for Kenta. Helps establish credibility, not just as Kenta, but also as the holder of the IWGP US heavyweight title briefcase. Yeah, he felt like a, a serious uh, player in the game. Uh, he came back, he has a new, he's another guy with a new look. He has a new, what's the color of his hair? Like silver? Yeah, purple? it was like silver-ish. Very stylish. I, mm -hmm. he had shaved eyebrows, very, uh, and he, he, I get the sense that Kenta really enjoys being a heel playing mm -hmm. heel he really i think he likes it and compared to last year last year in day one in dallas he faced ibushi and it was a cool match but i think people expected i don't know what i expected or whether people expected but it was something else what i saw last night was a kenta that i wanted to see last year and it seems like his pace is back up um the way he's kicking he's laying him in he feels more comfortable i feel like he's getting to a point where he's uh He's getting back into his own skin and he's ready to, uh, I don't know. Yeah, with, with the U.S. title, the briefcase thing, which, by the way, I think looks really cheap and lame. I don't think they need a briefcase. Do you think they need a brief? Like, I understand that they need to symbolize that mm -hmm. he doesn't have the title, but he will. He's significant, but I don't know. It, I just, 
you'll always think WWE money in the bank when you see yeah. a briefcase, simply. There's no way around it. And I think when you use those MacGuffins, it just, I don't know, just use a piece of paper or something. Yeah, it, anyway. it, does, it kind of cheapens a little bit with the presentation of someone like Kenta. Right, right. Although that is very, I'm being uh, nitpicky because otherwise it was a good match. Uh, mm-hmm. Goto looked good. It wasn't much different from the January match, but um, it. I don't have anything more to say other than it was solid. And if you liked the New Japan match, I'm sorry, the mm-hmm. Tokyo Dome match, then this was just as good or arguably better. So, yeah, um, and, and we'll see what happens with both uh, Kenta and, and Goto in this tournament. I'm, I'm interested to see where Kenta places, too, because I don't know where he's is he going to stay in the States and do the New Japan USA thing. I mean, if they hadn't already taped a John Moxley Kenta match, which it doesn't look like it has. I mean, Moxley's not going to come to Japan and Kenta won't be able to go back to the U.S. for a very long time because he's going to have to go under quarantine for a right. couple of weeks after the G1. So exactly. So if they hadn't already taped Kenta versus Moxley, then we're not going to get Kenta versus Moxley for a very long time. Which means we might uh, get a new story out of this, out of the G1. And mm-hmm. we'll have to keep our eyes peeled on uh, who that'll be. I don't know. Maybe Jeff Cobb. Who, maybe that'll be the, uh, the payoff. Because, wait, no, they're in, uh, they're in separate blocks. Never yeah. mind. We won't see that. <laughs> uh, well, I guess we'll just have to see. Um, and the last two matches... Tonight, uh, last night, the semi-main was Zack Saber, Zack Saber Jr. versus Evil, and Zack Saber Jr. won. In a, I thought it was a great match. I thought, I thought it was cool that it was a kind of a callback to last year at Dallas. He used the same European clutch he used on Sanada, Evil's ex tag team partner. He got the surprise win, and it sounded like the crowd really, really wanted. Zach to win, or maybe rather they really wanted Evil to lose because there was a lot more interference, BS outside the ring, that kind of stuff that we're not big fans of. But um, I, I, I kind of expected that. But what did you think of this match? Yeah, I mean, this was uh, more Bullet Club interference, as I kind of teased earlier. I mean, you're going to get this with Evil and with Jay White throughout the whole tournament i mean with, with evil i mean it's the same with jy just replaced gato with dick togo and there was you know dick togo was a lot more physical in this match than gato did uh, the night prior there was it it was weird because saber is typically a heel but in this case obviously he was the de facto baby face hmm. and he really did look you know he wrestled you know at times like a pretty strong baby face and the crowd was very receptive of that. I don't know if this is going to lead to a turn. I don't think so, but it was a nice little wrinkle to a match that I thought was pretty good for the most part. Interference is whatever, is whatever. it's something that we're all accustomed to and we're all going to have to get used to that we're going to see a lot more of throughout this G1. Uh, I liked it. I liked it. I think, I don't think this is going to – I think it's still a little too soon to see where Zack Sabre Jr. Uh, ends up in this tournament, as is with Evil. But I expect both of these guys to do pretty well in the B block. Yeah. I mean, as far as if you're just looking for great matches, both of these guys will 
deliver tons for you this summer but uh, these two together i like their chemistry because they're really different and mm-hmm. like you said i think there's something that made it seem in the crowd like the crowd really wanted they maybe they want to like him but mm-hmm. t- i'm talking zach but his because of his character it's just that's not uh that's not not, not what we do we're not we're supposed to do that but if he did turn baby face i mean he's been there for a while and he's impressive nobody's like him He's, mm-hmm. he's always a pleasure to watch. He was so fast last night, too. It's just refreshing to see a different style of wrestling. And people like when you're good, simply, especially in Japan. If you're if you're really, really, really talented, heel or baby face, like, you're going to get cheered if you're good. And if you're in a setting where you have a really a heel heel like evil and Dick Togo, mm-hmm. yeah, they're going to go. They're going to go ape for, for Zach. And it was good to see him uh, last night. So... That was good, but I think maybe everyone would agree with this. I'm gonna. I think the next match, the main event last night, Naito versus Hiroshi Tanahashi. That was my match of the weekend. That was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, um it was. I, I'm kind of speechless. I was so impressed with Tanahashi, <laughs> really. So it is. This is a really, really good match. If there really is one match of this entire G1 opening weekend that you have to go out and watch, Naito versus Tanahashi has to be it. I mean, I said it at the very start that I thought that Suzuki versus Ishii might be my favorite match out of the weekend, but this was the best match between Naito and Tanahashi. And you don't often get Tanahashi and Naito in in a singles match. You get between, I guess, the... The top of the top, you get more Tanahashi versus Okada, especially in the last few years. But this was a, it felt like to me, this was a very fresh match because you hadn't seen either of these guys in a singles match against each other in a very long time, or what seems to be a very, very long time. And there were times in this match where it got so competitive and it was really, really good, the back and forth. There were times where you kind of thought that even in, pin attempts or in sequences where normally it wouldn't end the match you would you kind of thought that like if it ended that way it would be really really good one example would be when uh i think it was tanahashi he had naito in a bridging german and and it was a very very close near fall i think it got to like two and three quarters the and it was a part suplex? of uh, yeah a bridging german Towards suplex yeah. yeah okay and and there was a part of him that kind of thought, if it had ended right there, hmm. I wouldn't be mad. Like, I'd be, I, I thought it'd be a really, really good finish. Then just Naito just does so many things well. And there were times where I kind of was a little bit worried about both of their safety, especially with the, um, the high fly flow to the outside. And I thought to myself, oh, man. Thank goodness these guys are doing it on the first night because if they had done the exact same spot on day 15 or day 16 of the G1, there'd be a little bit more risk because their bodies have already gone through the entire grind of a G1. I can't think of a time when Tanahashi botched that uh, dive to the floor. Every single time he lands it perfectly, he does. he extends perfectly, he lands on the guy without making too much impact. He rolls off. It's always picture perfect. It's so impressive. I was actually, I was lucky enough to see them wrestle each other, Tokyo Dome in 2000, 
17 it was whenever the naito had the intercontinental uh title they, it was, they were a semi-main mm. on one of the tokyo dome shows and that was really impressive too but last night was something else last night was um i, I naito like you said had a perfect naito match i mean everything that he wanted to do he he did it and it looked better than ever especially compared with um the evil and the naito match at jingu stadium was good but it wasn't perfect this was arguably you could say at least on naito's and he was close it was, it was great but tanahashi is one who stole the show for me he came back he he's he looks like 2013 tanahashi he got in shape for this uh g1 uh and the way he ran uh his knees look and feel different or that seem different and, and what certainly has helped Tanahashi is not just the pandemic, but the fact that when New Japan returned, he was mostly in tag team matches. Like he didn't do a whole lot of singles matches aside from the couple that he had in the New Japan Cup, which does kind of help because it got it took off the ring rust of Tanahashi without putting him in any major danger. And he and he was going in a tag team program with. Uh, with Tai Chi and Zack Sabre Jr. And the style that those two wrestle in, especially in tag team matches, it's not super high risk where Tanahashi has to risk his, risk his body every single night. So I think that kind of helped a little bit. I think we're going to, I think this is a fresher Tanahashi entering a G1 as we've seen the last few years. Yeah, he wasn't hobbling at all like he's been in the past few years. I mean, watching him run from corner to corner or off the ropes was sometimes kind of hard to watch in a couple sometime last year especially but i didn't notice any of that last night um everything he did i mean i haven't seen him land a, a perfect looking sling blade in a very very long time and it was he, he was firing on all cylinders i think you could definitely that's the phrase that's the trite phrase i want to use because that really felt like uh what we saw last night everything they wanted to do came off great and for a crowd that it wasn't capacity and it wasn't you know it's socially distanced too it was pretty loud mm -hmm. um they delivered for sure that clapping was real loud yeah, for both nights too uh, did you happen to notice uh, it was more towards when like people like tai chi or other heels were wrestling but uh, milano collection and liger were were introducing uh, humming booing did you mm -hmm. notice that they were they were booing in a kind of safe uh, anti-COVID way. So you could hear on some of the uh, commentary, Milano collection going, mmm, mmm. <laughs> so it's very uh, not subtle, but not aggressive either. So no. that might be the, uh, we might have to practice our humming booing this summer. Uh, I'll work on it. I'll, I'll get back to you. But um, yeah, that's it. So. Anything else that you want to talk about for day one or day two? Um, yeah, I think we pretty much covered it. I was one thing that I really, really liked was the the clapping. I mean, obviously that that's totally like some super minor, but I love the the level of noise the New Japan crowds were able to create with just clapping alone. It's like the one thing that really surprised me was during the Will Osprey match. That, I mean, the crowd, like, if they were allowed to cheer, they'd be white hot for mm. Will Ospreay. I, I think that's a good point because the cheers and the claps and the stomps, because of the circumstances, you 
like you're generally not supposed to make noise for safety reasons, not make mm-hmm. as much noise, but so that forces fans to really pick and choose spots when they will cheer. And those matches had points where it probably felt like you couldn't help but cheer, especially the last match, Tanahashi Naito. I mean, it was, um, like I said, it was firing on, on all cylinders and the crowd was reacting as they would, as if it was a packed crowd. So, um, it says a lot about the performances and it says uh, a lot about what uh, the Japanese crowd wants from the wrestling card from, from New Japan. So, yeah, you have to factor in that you can't just yell whatever you want. It's not um, it, you have to think about what you like and commit and then clap and stomp. There's that little process before uh, all of that is happening. So I think they're very valuable cheers and reactions and i think it's important to listen study them over the month because i think then we'll get a better idea of what uh the new japan crowd in japan really wants from the company uh and speak uh, speaking of new japan in japan we're going to transition quickly i'd like to talk about uh, this week's new japan strong for a second because it was a cool episode uh not entirely related to the g1 story but next week on new japan strong uh, i write about it on the wrestling observer website f4w online and you can see that they're prepping for a new tournament that'll kick off next friday called lions break crown um carlos can you talk about like kind of the setup or like what exactly this is or the theme of this tournament for new japan strong yeah, so basically kind of, you know, it, it takes eight of these guys, these younger American guys who are, I don't think they're signed to New Japan. I know a few of them are not signed, or maybe all of them are unsigned, but these are guys that have kind of been, you know, looking good on Lions Break Collision, on New Japan Strong, and so it's an, it's an eight-man single elimination format tournament, kind of like with the New Japan Cup USA, and it's uh, and I have the bracket right here. It's Logan Regal versus the DKC, and then Clark Connors versus Jordan Clearwater, which that just might be the best match of the first round. Uh, Danny Limelight versus Bear Brown, and then Adrian Quest versus Blake Christian. So it's a very very good match. You're gonna get a lot of pretty solid guys. I guess you can call them the the American Young Lions, or you know by default. But it's weird because they're not. They don't have the relative inexperience that the Japanese young lions have. Like these are guys who have already made some noise, whether it be on the Indies or some of these other regional uh, promotions here in the U.S. and and I think that's going to lead to a, I guess, a better a better wrestling than say maybe the uh, Young Lions Cup. I'm surprised, uh, uh, real quick. I'm actually surprised that this was done in a bracket format instead of the typical uh young lions cup format where it's just a round robin between all eight of these guys like maybe maybe it'd be a little too much uh for for a short period of time that, that they're taping but but regardless i mean there are some really really good matches uh even from the first round of, uh, alone clark connors who you've seen on the young lions cup Look pretty good for the most part. Great, great look to him. Jordan Clearwater has been a guy whose stock I think has risen uh, over the past year. Adrian Quest, Blake Christian, another another solid uh, matchup. And then 
yeah, this week's episode of New Japan Strong, we had all eight of these guys in a tag team match, and it was kind of what we talked about with some of the matches in G1. It was a it was a showcase match for a lot of these guys. It was pretty fun, and the other matches it was just a pair of pretty good, uh, pretty good tag team matches. Like nothing, uh, as we mentioned, Lang's break is not really. Leading to anything major, it's just a good showcase match for a lot of the New Japan USA guys and gives a lot of the guys who are typically in Japan some matches to do so under the New Japan umbrella. Yeah, I think it serves a purpose. It's introducing a lot of new faces. And like you said, these they're not necessarily Young Lions. I mean, it's just easier for us as writers to just say Young Lions because... <laughs> Otherwise, we have to break it down. But yeah, they're all kind of tangentially related or uh, connected with New Japan. I believe some guys went through dojo uh, training or dojo tryouts and, you know, were called back. I, I don't know the story. And some guys like uh, Jordan Clearwater is um, he was trained by Carl Anderson, who has a connection to history with uh, New Japan. Uh, real quick on Jordan Clearwater. Maybe it's me, but if I glance at him on TV for one second when he's coming to the ring, does he look like Okada? Like, like, <laughs> like the hair and there the, was the there jacket? was a little bit like just a glance. The, the, uh, yeah, at, at, like at a first glance, you can see a little bit shades of that. Um, I mean, I don't know. So, and I forgot to mention, um, not all. Uh, yeah, there are a couple that are signed to Japan because you got Clark Connors in this tur- right. in this tournament. And then, as you mentioned, like you know, uh, Danny Limelight, he's got a he, he is in some ways mentoree of Rocky Romero. And Rocket Remember was kind of main, the main reason why we're seeing Danny Limelight uh, on New Japan programs. So a lot of it's not like these guys are just coming in uh, into the unknown. These guys do have connections to the New Japan product and to some of its guys. So it's, it is a good way. It's a slightly better version of the Young Lions Cup that we're typically used to seeing every few years. Yeah, I think the reason... That we get the product that we're we're seeing from these guys is because New Japan is, they feel quite careful to when they choose who they're going to bring in more and more these days too. And New Japan never struck me as a company that would just kind of, I mean, they simply can't bring in whomever because there's visa issues that got to be taken care of, and there's different the, the books are done differently in Japan because uh, just because business is different there. So it's just there's a lot of. Um, not hesitancy only, but also like really thoughtful choices. Everybody in this tournament, they went through a few, like they were chosen by New Japan. They're not mm-hmm. just like, oh, he's available. Come on in. All all eight guys, I don't know much about them, but like you said in the, uh, the Friday's match, it was really impressive. It was a short action-packed match. Every, we saw a little preview of each matches of next week. So next week, the tournament will start. And Connors and Clearwater, like you said, we had a really good exchange. And each of the other guys had a really nice uh, previews. But it was too short to really mm-hmm. give you guys a full, uh, full-blown full opinion. So I guess we'll come back and talk about that next week. Um, before we wrap up, now with our New Japan coverage, that's about it. I just wanted to touch on the All Japan uh, Champion Carnival quickly. I know there's actually quite a few um, tournaments going on in Japan right now. There's all, Dragon Gate's tournament is happening right now. Noah's N1 victory tournament's happening now. We're probably not going to cover that, 
just because there are too many there's only so many minutes in the day so we're good but i do want to cover a little bit of all japan which has been if you like the product or if you want to jump back into all japan because they're kind of going through a new kind of repackaging rebranding right now um the matches have been there's been some really good matches uh carlos you were telling me earlier you were i was surprised that of your most impressed uh your most impressive point of the all japan carnival so far can you share that with us? Yeah. So, but before we get into that, just a quick rundown over the current standings. We're I done guess. with three shows, and unlike previous champion champion carnival, this is like a an abbreviated version because you don't have that many guys. So it's only ten guys separated into two blocks. So block A, you got a tie for first between Zeus and Jake Lee. Then you got a tie for third. Uh, you, you, um, sorry, Yiro Ikeman Kuroshio with two points. Suwama has also two points. And then Kumo Rashi has no points. And then block B, Shuja Ishikawa and Yuma Aoyagi with four points. Yoshitatsu and Kento Miyaharo with two. And then Shotaro Ashino with zero points. So there's a couple of good matches from the last two shows since we did the preview show. I think many would agree that the Jake Lee versus Suwama match was the best match Maybe of the Champions Carnival so far. It was a great, great match. This was, we, we mentioned this, I think, I don't remember if we said it in the previous show or just privately, but Jake Lee really, this is, and I said this for, I know I said this, this is Jake Lee's tournament to win because Jake Lee has looked pretty impressive in the match against Ikeman. It, it, it told a very nice little story. And then when you talk about like the match quality against Suwama, there are a few times where Suwama has looked damn impressive. And this was a, and the match against Jake Lee was really, really good. And really, the day three was actually just, there was a lot going on with day three. So Zeus defeated uh, Ikeman Kuroshio in like seven minutes. And the finish of the match was so completely out of nowhere. So Zeus. Um, has Kuroshio? Uh, I'm just going to Ikeman. He had Ikeman in in a pin. Ikeman kicks out, and then they're in the center of the ring. Zeus picks him up, hits the most pedestrian, not even pedestrian. I guess the most average knife edge chop that you'll see in pro wrestling. Like this wasn't like a Walter type of knife edge chop. This was just your regular chop that you're seeing a million million times and that ends the match and Zeus just pins him after one chop seven minutes into the match and it, I and I was so like taken aback and I just couldn't help but laugh it was the match was all right it wasn't bad or anything but it was just the finish was very very funny and it kind of goes into a, a larger point about what this means for Ikeman who has been, he is sort of a comedy wrestler, but you saw in that match that he wasn't really doing much comedy. It was a more serious type of wrestling match, and it was interesting, and and I just hope that, and then, you know, Ikeman can serve well doing that, not doing comedy all the time, and this was a nice win for Zeus, which, you know, it, it now sets up the showdown between Zeus and Jake Lee on the final first round night where the winner presumably advances to the champion carnival finals 
Yeah, Ike Man, he has a an interesting trajectory, especially now that he's working more and more with All Japan. Uh, his original plan, he was slated to go to the NXT Performance Center and be part of WWE, but the pandemic hit and things completely changed. So uh, the current booker, Prison's booking Champion Carnival, Tajiri, that's... Ike Man is kind of his, you know, his boy. His like it's from mm-hmm. he's from a wrestling new classic. That's where Ike Man got his start when he was younger, and he's been doing the same gimmick. And Tajiri trained him, and he's had the kind of simultaneous plans. Like if Ike Man is going to NXT someday, there's that. But since it's not, he has a, an All Japan plan starting. I think now where you saw in the Zeus match where he's slowly going to uh, drop the uh, comedy silliness part of his gimmick, the dancing around the ring before the match to the Masaharu Fukuyama song, uh, and slowly he'll drop the jacket and become a more serious um, contender or competitor in the All Japan context. That's the plan from what I've been told, but we'll see what happens. And I think we can see that more clearly once we see more of the uh, All Japan Champion Carnival. And I, like you said, I think if anybody is kind of hesitant to check it out because there's a lot of wrestling going on right now, I think go out and check out anything at All Japan that's at Korakuen Hall because that seems to be their HQ and a lot of the important matches are going to be happening there. Uh, the Wednesday match, like you said, I agree with you, Carlos. I think Suama and Jake Lee was probably the best match so far. It was really good. Uh, Ashino and Miyahara was really good too. Uh, yeah, Dola really, really good story. Oh, it was a great story. It was a great story, but it's one of those matches, like a perfect example of a great match that suffered from a uh, pandemic crowd. Yeah. Simply. I think if they had a full crowd there, it would have been a lot different. And people really react in a visceral way to Kento Miyahara. His fans really love him. Really, yeah. Yeah, and, and when he was making the comeback of... Cause, uh, Ashino was essentially working the the left leg of Kento Miyahara throughout the whole match, you, ran, jamming it into the pose, dropping him on the on the guardrail. Like, and Miyahara was selling the left leg pretty pretty well, uh, and he was also dealing with outside interference. You know, to add on to everything, it, it it was a nice little story. Not the greatest wrestling match ever, but the the story really made up. Uh, you know the uh, the bulk of the match, and I think it was a really really good one. Simple but very effective. Yeah, and I like you know earlier we were talking about how we're kind of sick of how New Japan does the uh, outside of interference and dependence on the ref bumps. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been some really cool creative ways so far in the Champion Carnival where we're seeing a little interference from the the Wrestle One guys like Ashino, and th- there was a. a I think in the Yuma Aoyagi match, I believe after his match, I forget who it was with, but um, Doi came out, Nerki Doi, or Koji Doi came out and took Aoyagi's head off for the Lariat. This is part of an angle. But, um, like, you can, that's a great example. It doesn't ruin the integrity of the match at all. It forwards the story between uh, Aoyagi and the Outsiders group. And uh, it's not anything to do with the match. It was after the match. So I think that's just a cool uh, other option that maybe New Japan could use without uh, 
tainting the integrity of some of these matches to us fussy hardcore fans. <laughs> but um, and another just one thing before we wrap up. One thing I'm noticing about the Champion Carnival is that there is this interesting submission trend. Did you notice that many of the uh, finishes so far have been through submissions? And I think that's weird because a lot of these guys aren't submission specialists or that's not how they're uh, booked or presented. So Zeus, like the Zeus match you, you mentioned, he was doing some kind of modified like Cobra clutch or some kind of submission hold before that chop. Mm -hmm. So, and he's one with that. Um, uh, who else? Uh, Jake Lee, I think, won with a submission. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to think. Uh, Ayagi Ashino, I think, also ended in a submission. Yep, ankle ankle lock. Um, yeah, so there, there's a theme of that. I don't know how that will play in to the finals, but to me, it seems like submissions are the name of the game in Champion Carnival. Move, moves or moves and styles that aren't used typically. People are people in the tournament are using everything they have in their toolbox to win. I think that's the story that they're presenting. And it's been cool and it's pretty manageable to keep up on. Actually, as we speak, I think later today, uh, All Japan will be streaming their show at 7.30 on the West Coast time. Uh, they're doing an afternoon show for a champion car. It's gonna be on YouTube for free. So yeah, that'll be yeah, it'll be a that a, will, a nice introduction for those who have not checked out the Champion Carnival. In hmm. it won't be uh, it'll probably be finished by the time this podcast is up. But if you're listening, I'm sure it'll still be on YouTube, so you could probably go check that out. There's nothing better than free wrestling, other than like too much free wrestling or bad <laughs> free wrestling, I suppose. And on that note, let's wrap it up for today. We're gonna come back on Wednesday. Day three of the G1 cast with a little bit of a shorter podcast for you. We're going to go into detail and cover the A Block show. So for Carlos, I'm Justin from Fight Game Media. Thanks, everyone. All right. And John and I are still to come. We are talking about the September 19th, 1992 episode of WCW Saturday Night, and let's get to that segment. All right, it's WCW Saturday Night time. John, John and I have been reviewing these shows. We started in July after the first six months we were doing We Want Flares, and, and then we just decided that the last six months of the year we want to do something different, so we've been doing these WCW Saturday Nights. It was, again, not a two-hour show, which has been really clutch because there's so much stuff to watch these days. Uh, another one-hour show, maybe even a little bit less. I want to say it was like 41 minutes, so maybe, maybe there was 19 minutes of commercials. But um, this show, so... Heavy build for Halloween Havoc. We had our first control center segment. And there's an interesting... Some, some interesting stuff is actually happening in WCW. And we'll get to that because I, uh, I think I mentioned a few weeks ago that as I'm reading The Observers, Dave goes to Japan. So he misses a couple weeks. And so he's got to combine like all this WCW news into a couple of uh, a couple of issues. So I went through all of them and I got the WCW news. Not a good time for business. Uh, I think the wrestlers are pretty upset about Bill Watts trying to cut everything. And you know these guys had guaranteed deals, and he's trying to like tell them, you know, if you if you just go on a nightly deal, 
you know, we'll buy out your contract and stuff because he needs to stop them from losing so much money. And so all of these observers were just like, you know, morale is so low and Sting has kind of got to be like the face of, of the wrestlers and, and, and kind of have their backs in these meetings. And, you know, Pillman has the meeting with Watts about, and Watts wants to cut all of his incentives. And so one of the things is like, I can cut your incentives or I can cut your push. And it's like, okay, cut my push. Like whatever, like, I guess that's a way to cut the incentives, right? Is so that he doesn't hit certain levels of success, uh, which he would get bonused in. It's like, oh yeah, you're going to have this four minute match with Brad Armstrong and you're going to lose. Um, and, but then, you know, after I think Watts comes out and says, oh, you know, Brian and I talked and he's fine. And then Brian wins the next match. So we'll see where it goes from there. But Beginning of the show is a recap of the Eaton and Anderson versus Steiners feud that's been going on the last couple of weeks. And we get word that Scotty Flamingo got fined $2,000 for jumping in the ring to uh, talk to Brad Armstrong. Was it, was he, he was in the Armstrong segment, right? Yeah, he interfered because he was doing uh, play by do play by play. So he left the broadcast booth. That's a no no. Yep. And you get 2, fined. So uh, then there's a Jake, a quick inset Jake promo on Sting for Halloween Havoc. Spin the wheel, make the deal. And then we get the Barbarian, and I didn't make out the guy's name, Bassanin. Is it yeah, Rob yeah. Bassanin? Carol Bassin's uh, <laughs> brother, who was a, went to, uh, did professional, professional wrestling in, <laughs> in 1992. Uh, oh, some yeah. big kid, the, some the, big the, kid. The, the, what what is that guy? The Tiger King? Yeah, Tiger King show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they didn't even have a a Chiron for him, so I didn't see what his name was. I I just assumed it was Bassinen. Uh, Foley. So Cactus Jack is fully, uh, basically the manager because he's he's got a groin injury and he's got a bad knee, so he can't actually wrestle. He's uh, the manager of the Barbarian, and he's the mouthpiece, so he's doing the play-by-play and just putting over his boy, Barbarian. Uh, you know, same match that we've had the last several uh, several weeks with Barbarian winning with the big boot. Mick says that it's either going to be the Barbarian or Butch Reed to face Ron Simmons uh, at Halloween Havoc. We haven't seen Butch since the clash. And then Butch is, he, he, Butch no showed and then he got fired. So it's not going to be Butch. <laughs> and, uh, very quickly when they do this control center, they say that it's actually going to be barbarian. So Mick, I don't know if they told Mick necessarily exactly what the plans were, but he thought maybe Butch was going to get the match. This was uh, when they felt Butch was still going to be around. Cause he even, you know, he even talks about like, even if, Barbarian doesn't win. We have another ace in the hole who knows everything about him and Butch Reed, you know. Mm-hmm. So yeah. He's, that's where he was right now. He was just getting more information on, on Ron. Yeah. That's why he wasn't yeah. there. Strategizing. Butch Reed is uh, the mastermind behind this thing. So, yeah. I mean, this is, you know, good squash match and, a good, and another great Cactus Jack promo. I mean, just hitting home runs with these. What did you think about Magnum putting over Shane Douglas? I remember this. I remember, I remember, I. I remember this from last week. I remember like, oh yeah, that Magnum's going to show up, and yeah, they're trying to make him a new young Magnum TA. They, he, he's passing the torch. He's giving the belly to belly, and um, yeah, I thought it was cool. You know, this is 
things you got to do, you know, to get people over. And Shane Douglas is well spoken, and he's such a good he's a good wrestler, you know. So I, I mean, I was believing it back then, you know. I'm like, oh, cool, you know, like, oh man, he's gonna be doing the belly to belly. He's getting mentored by Matt MTA, and you know, but yeah, it's a nice little rub. He beat uh, Joe Kazana. Yay, Joe Kazana. Good, 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 good enhancement talent. Good job, yeah. With the belly to belly and Magnum's on the call. I actually, I, I liked, I like just listen. I like hearing Magnum's voice again. Yeah. I mean, he's always was good at color. He was great in EWF too in um, 87. And he's always was a strong promo. And this match was a nice little, just nice little match. And I liked, um, I liked the belly to belly that uh, Doug, Shane Douglas hit. I liked how he hit, you know, I didn't. I don't like the belly belly with the ropes. Like the guy just gets thrown mm-hmm. over. Um, other than other than uh, Owen Hart had a really good one, um, but like I liked. You know, it, this was powerful. You know, this is like what it should be done. You pick the guy up, and your body weight goes down on top of the of your opponent and squishes him. And um, I love the belly belly suplex. I I think it's it's one of my favorite suplexes. And then and. Um, <laughs> The second, my, my favorite suplex, actually, is the, it's not really a suplex. I guess you call it a cord buster, the mm. uh, R. Anderson's do, which I love seeing on Wednesday when uh, FTR did the old Tully Blanchard, R. Anderson, cord buster. So, yeah, two of my favorite wrestling moves for people want to know is the cord buster and the belly belly, and I love a good drop kick. So the first Halloween Havoc Control Center Jim Ross basically threw to Jim Ross. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought maybe they should have had someone else do the controls. Gordon, where's Gordon? I have cuts. Gordon or Tony or somebody, just so we didn't have to see Jr. You know, we just he's like we just saw him and now we see him again and we know that he did not. You know, it just makes it it makes it it, it tells the fans that okay. This is taped, so this this we did this before, and they try to pretend that it's live, and so that kind of spoils it. Um, but the Halloween Havoc Control Center, Ron Simmons versus the Barbarian gets announced. Ravison Rick Rude is cutting a promo on Chono. He's gonna have his a chance to get the NWA title again. And then, obviously, Sting versus Jake. Sting cuts a quick promo. Jake cuts another quick one. And that was it. That was it for the uh, control center. Though I really like, I like those control centers. The problem is, is if you watched more than one WCW show a weekend, you would see the same exact mm-hmm. control center oh, yeah. every pro- single time. Same promos. I liked how WWF did it with Bean Gene in the control room. Mm-hmm. Felt more, just felt real. I used to always hate just the green screen behind. Um, Jim Ross, even as a kid, it's or WC always did that, and then I know they made that they thought it was a cool graphic, but I just like the the realism that WWF did at the time with the control the event centers at least. DDP against Van Hammer. Van Hammer beats DDP with an actual wrestling move. Yeah, yeah. Watts is like, I want you to beat him with a wrestling hold, Oklahoma <laughs> roll. Um, not a bad match though. I thought it was, it was fine. It was good. Um, you know. Page is bumping all over the place um, for uh, for Van Hammer, making him look good as possible. But yeah, it wasn't bad. It wasn't too bad. And then we get another uh, Mick Foley and Barbarian interview. Uh, and then we get a pretty good Ricky the Dragon interview, I thought. Mm-hmm. He's talking about Austin. He's got more matches 
you know, than Austin. He, I forgot, I forgot the line. Yeah, more matches than Pinky yeah. than Austin's had in his whole career. And then he went with the let me tell you something. I thought he's. I totally thought he was going with the brother, mm-hmm. but I was. I always loved the "Let me tell you something." I always loved that line in in wrestling promos. Just but, looking great shape. Yeah, <laughs> Jack. Yeah, that that shoulder like just perfect. Um, but we, don't forget, man, who was there with him? Tay Long, Teddy. He was also you know he was shout out the homies again, homies. <laughs> Went to the elementary school, talked talked to kids about drugs and staying out of the streets. The homies. He's talking to homies. So I love Teddy. So then we got our main event, which is Eaton and Anderson against the wait, Steiners wait. again. Before that, did you hear Tay Long calling the world heavyweight champion Rick Steamboat? Oh, did he? And, and Jim Ross goes, "Hey, you got a you got a promotion there." Like, <laughs> and they all had a chuckle over it, but they left it in. It was so natural, you know. It was it was, it was, uh, it was pretty it was just a little funny segment. All right, what did did you like this match better, or did you like the one from two weeks ago? Um, uh, God, they're both good. I liked. I, I like this one. I like the. I liked, you know, didn't have a finish. It went to a, a Broadway, um, or uh, time limit draw. Yeah, TV, TV time, time. TV, TV time, time remaining. I liked it because I like liked the pacing. But then again, I'm also. I just watched Imperium versus Brizongo. I just watched uh, FTR and uh, Jurassic Express. So it was nice to see a very old school match. Um, all called in the ring. Um, all played off the crowd. Too, with something you don't see. Oh, I mean, now you can't because of the pandemic. But even before the the fans not being in a, fans being in attendance, you know they had their match that they planned out, right? And that's that's what they're going to give the fans. This was they went out, they worked. The crowd was really hot for this match. Um, they played off a lot of stuff. There was a, a moment where and you probably I don't know if you liked it. I mean, it's not my favorite thing, but like, but with, it fits with Rick Steiner's character. He's goofy and kooky and likes to have fun in there. Where he started biting Bobby mm-hmm. Eaton, mm-hmm. and then and then obviously the crowd really reacted to that, so they really kind of went with it and kept going with it. I like that they teased the cutoff forever. You don't see that anymore, I and mean, you know you just don't you see you don't see the Bay faces being so dominant like that. Um, just a nice, well worked match. It's just nice to see pros do their thing, you know. So yeah, it was fun, and I like that they didn't beat Anderson and Eaton here, and they left left me wanting more. And I think it's probably a reason why they they didn't beat Anderson here because Steiner's contracts are coming up, and you know you don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah, their deal is up in December, I believe, and you know Watts not going to sign them to the same deal that they had. They're probably going to go on a nightly deal, and then based off of that nightly deal, it's probably comparative to what they would make in WWF. But then when you go to WWF, you don't get to you know, work New Japan the same way that you did. So there's this. So yeah, so they got to figure, figure out what's going on. So let's get to the quickly. Let's get to the observer stuff. So our good friend, junkyard dog already gone. Um, Vinny Vegas also gave his notice. What does he do between now and going to eventually going to watch convince him to stay? Oh, is that what happened? Yeah. Uh, Watts, you know, said, "Hey, don't don't give this up. You have something. You know, there's not many." Because he was actually going to quit wrestling. Right? He wanted to quit wrestling. I think Watts talked him into staying, and then when Watts was gone, that's when he, you know, act told. I think he he quit again, but this time he said, "I'm not going to be in wrestling. I'm going to go do something else." But he ended up showing up as Diesel, Shawn Michaels' bodyguard, in June of 1993. Uh, Johnny B. Bad out with an elbow injury. Also, the big cat 
was fired. He had some <laughs> legal stuff going on. Oh, jeez. That's all. That's all it said in the Observer. Is like legal stuff for legal reasons or something. And I remember like, oh, Butch I Reed. What happened. Butch Reed was like, I mean, I remember showing up the clash and then like, and I was excited for it. But oh, Butch Reed is back. I like Butch Reed. And then poof. Yeah. <laughs> gone. Yeah. Um. And so uh, I'll read this excerpt from the Observer. Dave writes, Rick Rude, whose guaranteed money contract expires in early 95, was reportedly given a proposal by Watts that he'd give him a large cash payment now of apparently far less money than Rude would earn on his current deal, even throwing in the $1,000 per night of the new deal he'd signed. Plus, he'd be signing away his financial insurance in case of a major injury. If Rude would sign away his current contract and instead go on a per night deal listed as $1,000, but reportedly with no guarantee of a number of dates. It also should be noted that reportedly the new deal also includes a clause that the wrestlers can be asked to relocate their home base. In other words, they can be sent to another territory provided that territory picks up the 1000 or whatever per night deal on the surface. That doesn't sound bad, but a worst case scenario could see someone transferred to Puerto Rico. The other thing that he mentioned was uh, for the guys who did not want to, who did not want to move to Atlanta, that they had to pay their own trans to come to the TV tapings in Atlanta. Oh, God. Um, okay, so some other tidbits here. Uh, t- I think I, I mentioned business was down. TV is, is at a record low. Um, Jimmy Garvin, our friend Jimmy Garvin, who we've been talking about, was tentatively released after a contract buyout. He had 17 months remaining on a reported $186,000 contract and was given a huge lump sum, reportedly in the 180000 range, to give up the remainder of his deal as a buyout. As part of the release, he's free to work anywhere else. Uh, this appears to be a deal that benefits both sides since WCW had no plans for Garvin, and it saves the company money over the long haul. And then what's coming, the last thing is coming, which is the the top rope uh, thing. I think it's probably they'll probably explain it next week, but the top rope thing is going to be rescinded except for knee drops to the head and face. Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. So I guess Rue can't use his finisher from Japan. So we are all caught up and uh, on our WCW Saturday night. And, you know, we are in the... So we started in July, August, September. So, yeah, I mean, we're almost halfway through another couple weeks and we'll be halfway through... Our uh, 92 run with WCW Saturday night, which has been kind of interesting to watch. But I also didn't remember being um, not uh, not that I was frustrated with it because it is that the wrestling and the in-ring is stronger, but it's also a little bit bland and I don't remember it being so bland and colorless. Obviously, the opposite is you know, them, what they were in 91, which was trying to be WWF. Yeah. But I, I just didn't remember it being so bland, you know, but I, I think the wrestling is strong enough to where it's, it's okay. But yeah, man, there's like no personality on some of these guys that, uh, that are actually, you know, pushed pretty highly. Yeah. T- t- October is a very like 
like you said, bland month for WCW 92. I remember um, it's a weird transition of what, and I think, but things start pick. I remember things started picking up pretty good in the end of November with in December. And I remember being totally hyped as 93 was starting with some of the stuff they were doing, but yeah, these, cause I think cause you know, one Ron Simmons and barbarians, not a big match. And yeah, and Ron Simmons doesn't have any other big matches, at least building to. And then they talk about rude stuff on the house shows. and But that's like one you want to see, right? But the rude stuck with Masahiro Chono, and you got to deal with that. You got to deal with that mm-hmm. situation. Like, which type of how would I care, should I care about, you know? So I think that, that caused a lot of confusion for me in back in October of 92 when I was watching. Oh. All right, Justin, we are going to sign off. Um on this show but overall first podcast went well you're going to be raring to go after uh oh yeah after the wednesday show and uh again you know i think this is an awesome idea i'm so glad that carlos's game and you know the, the one thing i think that is a little bit underrated about creating kind of our our little community and our facebook group is how you can kind of get people together because i don't know if you were aware of Carlos's work before he joined the group, but like, that's kind of what community enables, right? Like you're, you had this idea, Carlos had this idea and you guys could kind of come together and take it to fruition. I think that's a really cool thing. Yeah. I think he was on the fightful boxing podcast they had going for a little while. I could have swore I heard him on that. I think that's where I first heard him. I'm sure, I'm sure he was. Um, but yeah, but he's enthusiastic just like we are. Everybody in the Facebook group is there's like a we can kind of talk and we can get over the what do you say like pleasantries of wrestling. We can just <laughs> go right into talking about what we what's on our minds and everybody in the Facebook group, we're all on the same page. I mean, we have different opinions of course, but we're all up to date and we all we, we kind of know we're on on the same page, yeah. Um, so I want to say thank you again to you and, and Carlos and you and I may be back this week on a secret thing that we've been working on. I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to jinx it, but hopefully come, uh, Wednesday, people will hear us, you and I together with a special guest. And if it doesn't happen, then you won't hear us That's back right. on Wednesday, but, uh, pretty con- I'm pretty confident uh, on this one. So, um, so if you ha- if you are not going to be you won't be sick of Justin quite yet. I don't, I don't know about in three weeks. You know he, he he's going to be he might be a little overexposed on this network, but uh, that is <laughs> all all in fun because uh, he's doing a lot of uh, a lot of great work. Um, and you know the one thing if people haven't read your series on Hannah Kimura on FightGameMedia.com, definitely check that out. Justin did a lot of great work with that. Um, on that, on on her and you know her mother and just sort of the way that things happened uh, when she uh, passed away. So, uh, so definitely listen to that. So for Justin and Carlos, I am Double G. We will see you when we see you. Peace out. <laughs>